1: A lot of you have emailed me asking how things went on the opening day of duck hunting season last Saturday, and I am sorry to report things didn't go very well at all for me. I got sick on Friday and was sick all weekend. I don't know if it was COVID. It certainly felt like it, but I'm doing better now and hoping to get out into the field much sooner than later because I really need my October duck and goose hunting fix. I can say that my Longtime friend and our original Northwestern Outdoors Radio Pro staffer, Rusty Johnston, did manage to get out with another friend, though, and he actually didn't do that great. Only got a couple of ducks, but one of them was a wood duck, and that is always a prize. Very colorful bird, and you don't see too many of those in the deserts of eastern Washington. This week on the show, we've got some great guests for you. One of them is Jeff Holmes, and he's actually going to be with us for two segments. He's written a couple of articles that are in this month's edition of Northwest Sportsman Magazine. One of them is about fall fishing for trout on several streams and rivers in the Idaho Panhandle. He'll tell you exactly where they are and what you'll catch there, and why this is the perfect time to be fishing them. The other discussion we're going to have is about grouse hunting in the Northwest. He's going to give you some advice on how to go about doing it. Tell you why he loves it so much during the month of October and give you some ideas of where to go to find grouse this month. Bob Loomis is back for an extended Max Minute. The subject this time, catching coho salmon in the Columbia River Gorge. They're there right now and they're waiting for you. But how do you go about catching them? Bob will let you know. And then we're going to have an in-depth discussion with U.S. Congressional Representative Dan Newhouse about the reintroduction of grizzly bears into North Cascades National Park. It's something the National Park Service and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service clearly wants to do. They want to establish a population of up to 200 grizzly bears in this area. But Congressman Newhouse, who represents a good portion of the area east and south of the park, is raising an alarm bell because there's going to be a whole bunch of conflicts with humans and livestock... And it seems like these federal agencies aren't listening. That's why he's actually introduced legislation to block the reintroduction of these animals. Congressman Newhouse will go into more detail about this. I'll share some facts, too, because I've been following this situation. And I've got to tell you, we both agree on the subject. Not a really good idea to physically reintroduce grizzlies, especially 200 of them, into North Cascades National Park because there's going to be some unintended consequences. What else do we have for you? Well, of course, we've got our Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week, where you get the chance to win a $25 gift card from America's premier outfitter. And we've also got another edition of Sportsman Spotlight with David Sparks for you. In fact, we're going to start that off right now. Boy, do
0: I have a real adventure lined up for you, given that you'd like to go fishing in Alaska. This is David Sparks with Sportsman Spotlight. How would you like to go fishing in Alaska? fishing for kings sockeye grayling pike and all of this occurring on a river sound too good to be true nope it is true alaska's river king outfitters will take you fishing on the Nushagak river which is rated the number one king salmon river in the state it's located in southwest alaska where there are no roads meaning no crowds the guided service claims private cabins gourmet meals what they refer to as uncrowded, pristine waters, where you can fish traditionally or fly fish, and at the end of the day, how's this sound? After a great dinner and perhaps the beverage of your choice, a steam sauna. From the middle of June until the middle of July, you can fish for kings, which at that time are at the peak of their run. Trips are for six days and five nights, and you fly into Dellingham, Alaska. From there, you get picked up by a float plane and land at their camp on the river. Interested in challenging fishing? Fishing till you drop? Well, here's owner Steve Sprague. We take you fishing as much as you can stand. We got 20 hours of daylight up there, so as long as your body will hold out, we'll take you fishing. It ain't cheap. Packages run from 1700 to 2400 bucks. To get in touch, riverkingoutfitters.com. A strong season starts with a strong foundation. Not that kind. The kind you get with vellum rise from Bayer. A new potato fungicide nematicide applied in furrow. It builds off Vellum Prime's proven protection from nematodes, adding a season-long suppression of rhizoctonia, all while promoting root health. And with a foundation like that, your crops can rise to their full yield potential. Learn more at vellumrise.com. Always read and follow pesticide label instructions. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. David Sparks, Sportsman Spotlight.
1: We're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio. We've got Jeff Holmes on the line. He's a prolific outdoors rider who loves to hunt and fish. And this time around, we're going to talk to him about fishing in northern Idaho. This is a great month to do that, especially if you're a trout angler. Jeff, great to have you back on the air. Thanks for having me,
2: John. Look forward to talking about these fisheries. They're pretty special.
1: Indeed, they are. And you really highlighted them in the Article that you wrote that's in the current edition of Northwest Sportsman Magazine. Tell me about some of the panhandle rivers you like to fish for trout in northern Idaho.
2: Yeah, first, northern Idaho in general is an angler's paradise. And I know that's cliche, but it's really true. And it'll be difficult for me not to talk about all the fisheries I love. I'd like to focus on the Bitterroot Mountain. In the Bitterroots, we've got a number of amazing west slope cutthroat streams, streams that also have mountain whitefish and bull trout in them. And uh, surprisingly, Idaho has been super progressive on their conservation and their regulations, and they started catching release on these streams when they saw major dips in the populations way back in 1969. And they've been managed very carefully since that time, and as a result, they have vibrant, robust populations of wild trout, super cold water, just, you know, you'd be fishing and have a moose walk past you. You know, I've had an endangered great gray owl fly over my head and crap two feet from me. Just the wildlife spectacle that you see out there while you're fishing is amazing. But it's really the fishing that brings me there and a whole lot of people. I try to be careful about divulging river names, but when we're talking about catch and release fisheries that are already blown up everywhere in the country, I'm happy to talk about them. And I really think that people should go to these places. It reminds us of uh, some of the more simple fishing that a lot of us enjoyed growing up. You know, I I spent my weekend on the Hanford Reach in an $80,000 boat, not mine, you know, $10,000 with tackle. We went there in a, in a Ford Raptor. A lot of gear, right? When you're out on these streams, all you need is a fly rod. This time of year, definitely a set of waders. You don't want a wet wade. And you can go to any local sporting goods store, most any local sporting goods store, and pick up a pair of felt-soled boots. And that's like having four-wheel drive for your feet. So if you take waders up there, make sure they have felt-soled boots on them, whether that's part of the waders or just an external boot with a stocking foot wader. When you have a pair of felt-fold waders on any of the streams in the Bitterroots, and we'll get into those streams in a second, you have the ability to charge around without falling down, and it's pretty wonderful. There's no rock snot or algae up there. These are crystal-clear streams. and Even if your mobility isn't great or you're a little older, as I'm starting to get up there in my late 40s, people much older, fish there, of course, you can have a great time out there all day. So the streams that I would really like to talk about and that I talked about in my article are the St. Joe River which is my favorite stream. Uh, It starts on the Montana-Idaho divide, on the Bitterroot divide, at St. Joe Lake, a giant mountain lake, and then flows, I think, something like 90 miles down through a number of different amazing alpine zones, a wild and scenic river area, until eventually it empties out near St. Mary's, Idaho, and becomes a pike fishery that feeds into Lake Coeur d'Alene. So it's quite a contrast in, in streams. Down at the bottom, you've got largemouth, smallmouth pike, and up top, you've got bull trout and West Slope cutthroats.
1: Let and me then ask the you a other... question about the, the St. Joe and the bull trout. You know, I live in north-central Washington, and pretty much the entire Wenatchee River watershed was closed in the late 1990s to conserve bull trout. And it's never reopened. And quite frankly, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service doesn't want to talk about the progress of the bull trout restoration. But it sounds like in northern Idaho, you can actually catch and release bull trout. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's a new thing, though. They had to be incidental catches in the past. Uh, the first one I caught, which was, oh, I don't know, 2004, I think, was on, I remember it was on July 4th, it was at noon, on a shady bend in the river that never gets any sunlight, and I caught a 31-inch bull trout that I had wow. to swim to catch on a five-weight fly rod on a little mohair leech.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, at what a trout. You, at
2: the time, it was slash is one of the best fish I've ever caught. Um, of course, released carefully after some pictures. But a short time after that, conservation efforts had improved, numbers had improved. And, you know, every stream is not the same. And we're going to talk about a, a couple others that have even more robust bullchop populations. But, yeah, you can target them now. You just have to release them. And how and the, big do the
1: cutthroat I've, run on the St. Joe?
2: Well, that's that's a great question. Um, historically, if you got an 18-incher, that was awesome. And by historically, I mean in my historical angling, because previously when Lake Cordellane was more of a cold water fishery and less of a pike factory, we had ad fluvial cutthroats, ones that went out into the lake and got big, eating kokanee and other bait fish, and then they would run back into the river, and that was the case for the Cordellane River too, where you would see 27-inch, at the max end of the range, 27-inch adfluvial fluvial west slope cutthroats, which is absolutely giant. Oh, yes. These, these days, fish are a little bit bigger on the St. Joe. Um, they have clamped down on the use of bait, which is just, I love to use bait, but not for wild cutthroat. It's absolutely death for them. Right. And we've, we've known that for 60, 70 years. So once they shut down in the lower end, they stopped stocking rainbows, which was insane because they've got these genetically pure, beautiful cutthroats. The fish started to get bigger, and I have now caught a legitimate 20-and-a-half-incher and lots over 18. And my friends have done the same. Wow. And Idaho fishing Game also corroborates, yeah, the fish have gotten a little bit bigger.
1: We need to talk about a couple of other streams you featured in your article, and we're already starting to run out of time, so please tell me about them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Dwarshak Reservoir is an impoundment of the North Fork of the Clearwater River. It is giant. You know it's the biggest smallmouth bass fishery in the country. So we've got another strange juxtaposition. We're on the bottom end of the fishery. We've got warm water fish galore, 10-pound smallmouth bass, and then up above, we've got some of the most crystal clear, beautiful trout streams in the country, certainly in Idaho in the North Fork of the Clearwater, where it's not impounded, and Kelly Creek, which is a tributary of the North Fork of the Clearwater. Now, both of those streams are primarily cutthroat streams. They also have larger populations of bull trout than the St. Joe. In fact, you can go there and target them and reasonably be assured of catching some. If you go in October, which is a great time to go, which is why I wrote about it, because it's a shoulder season, there's really no one there except for hunters, almost no one fishing, you're not going to catch as many bull trout, because most of the spawners are going to be up inside creeks doing their thing, because they're fall spawners. But even if you went now, you would catch plenty of bull trout if you stripped a small streamer, or any streamer, even a woolly bugger, through any of the holes up there. But the dominant fish in those streams is a West Slope cutthroat, however... When they built Dwarshak Dam, they impounded one of the most amazing steelhead rivers and uh, some of the best spawning habitat we had, and it locked a whole bunch of steelhead smolts behind Dwarshak Dam. So there has always been rainbows up there. And there's more more cutbows now. You don't really see any pure rainbows. Right. So you have a mix of cutbows and cutthroat and bull trout and mountain whitefish, and fishing up there can be fantastic and it is as remote as you're going to find that you can drive to in the lower 48 states it's the trip to get to both of those streams and you can fish them both simultaneously because the good fisheries exist like within 10 miles of each other over a beautiful little pass so to get there you have to either access it from montana from superior montana and you go over a small pass and drop down and back into idaho or through Pierce, Idaho, which you would go to Orofino, Idaho to access Pierce. These are pretty far-flung places that most people are probably not familiar with unless they've gone on an elk or a deer hunt there or something.
1: Well, it sounds like a fantastic opportunity to catch some beautiful trout this fall. And, folks, don't forget to bring your twenty-two year shotgun, too, because there's some good grouse hunting to be found there, too. Speaking of grouse, would you mind sticking around? Because I'd like to talk about your other article in this edition of Northwest Sportsman Magazine that's all about hunting grouse.
2: Yeah, that's my passion. Yep.
1: All right, stick around, folks. We'll be right back with Jeff Holmes to talk grouse hunting right here on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at Sina Sea Seafood. And if you are looking for a delicious meal, you can't do better than ordering from Sina Sea. They will deliver meal-sized portions of halibut and salmon and rockfish and sablefish and more right to your door. All of these fish are wild. They come from the cold waters of Alaska and even include the famous Copper River Sockeye salmon. So if you're looking for a special meal, whether it be fish or shellfish, go Go to Senasea.com, that's S-E-N-A-S-E-A, Senasea.com and use the promo code OUTDOORSRADIO for 10% off your entire order.
0: Sportsman's Warehouse is America's premier outfitter with the gear
3: you need for fishing, hunting, camping, paddling, cooking, and just about anything else you can do in the woods or in the water. With over 125 stores across America, there is bound to be a Sportsman's Warehouse near you. With not only the gear you need, but also the experts to help you get the most out of the product you purchase. Head down to your local Sportsman's Warehouse today or shop online anytime
0: at Sportsman's.com. That's Sportsman's.com. Welcome back to Northwestern Outdoors Radio and to an extended Max Minute, brought to you by Max Lure.
1: You know what time it is? It's time for another extended Max Minute, brought to you every week by Max Lure. With us again is Bob Loomis, the Vice President of Sales and More at Max Lure. Bob, welcome back to the show. Thank you, John. It is that time of year when you should be looking for those coho salmon on the Columbia River. And boy, oh boy, there's a lot of them. How do you troll up coho when you're fishing like in the Columbia River Gorge?
3: You know, John, a lot of people like to continue to fish the uh, large paddle flashers, things like that. Quite honestly, I like to downsize a little bit. I like using a 5.8-inch Double D Dodger or a 6-inch Sling Blade along with our Cha-Cha Sockeye or Double Whammy Sockeye Pros. That type of gear, just like we do with, with Sockeye, work absolutely fantastic. And people overlook the fact that, you know, it's, quote, labeled a Sockeye Lure or a Sockeye Dodger. But I'm going to tell you what, fishing for the Silvers in the, in the Columbia, it works absolutely fantastic.
1: Bob Loomis, you are making my head hurt, and let me tell you why. Because the last two weeks, we've talked about upsizing for walleye, upsizing for trout in the fall, and now you're telling me to downsize for coho. Why are we doing this? Well, here's the thing. You know, using
3: all that heavy gear that that you generally do, it's great for Chinooks when you're catching a 15 to 40-pound fish, but... When you're out there fishing for these coho that probably average eight pounds, it's like fishing for sockeye, downsized to a smaller size. They're not worried about the high profile. They're looking for attraction, something attracting them and scent. So in turn, you know, when you put a coon shrimp on and and fish it just like you would for sockeye with a small dodger, it works absolutely fantastic.
1: Well, there you go. Sockeye gear for Coho in the Columbia River this month. That's Bob Lewis, folks, blowing my mind on a weekly basis. And you can find the gear you need at a sporting goods store near you or online at maxluer.com. Hot summer nights mean hot morning fishing for sockeye here in the Northwest, and Max Lure Company has got what you need to catch a limit with the Double D Dodger and two great sockeye rigs. The Double D Dodger has a unique fast slow action and can be fished away from the boat without a side planer. The Cha-Cha Sockeye Rig and Double Whammy Sockeye Pro both feature a patented smile blade and two stout red hooks that won't let go of that salmon when it bites. Max Lure Company, getting you into the sockeye this summer. You're back in with Northwestern Outdoors Radio, and you're back in with outdoors writer Jeff Holmes. You just heard about catching cutthroat trout and more in northern Idaho. Now we're going to talk about hunting grouse, because that's the other article that he wrote that you'll find in this month's edition of Northwest Sportsman Magazine. Jeff, thanks for sticking around.
2: You bet. Family, we are passionate grouse hunters, John, and we're, I'm always happy to talk about this subject.
1: Well, you mentioned that. You've told me that several times. What, what is it about grouse hunting that you love so much?
2: I think part of it is it's like the first hunting season that my family always engaged in. Historically, it opens September 1st in Washington. That's been changed to September 15th, which I think is a really good thing to protect all these unfeathered, like little little grouse that are still brooded up. We had a huge percentage of our populations, especially of ruffs, just getting blasted in those first two weeks before they could even really fully, well, they could fly, but they didn't have tail feathers. Right. So now we start on the 15th. And I think the other part of why just grouse is so important to my family and to me is the places that they live, both ruffs and blues, but probably particularly blues because they live in Fantastic mountain top and ridge areas with commanding views, and they're just a neat little bird. They're like a. They also are just delicious. I think that blue grouse and rough grouse are my favorite of all the game birds. I think I've tried all the game birds except for shark tails and prairie chickens, which I don't think you can shoot anymore. And man, I would take grouse over chicken. So, a lot of reasons, but uh, I think one of one of the other reasons is that it's easy, right? You don't have to set up a wall tent. You don't have to get up early in the morning. Uh, You don't have to work as hard, although certainly you can get a lot of exercise walking around looking for those little buggers. But there's just so many reasons why why grouse are a a great target for new hunters, people who are remembering how special grouse hunting was earlier in their lives. And that's one of the things that I'm doing right now It's kind of going back into a grouse hunting revival.
1: You know, a lot of folks, they'll go down old Forest Service roads or gated Forest Service roads to hunt grouse, but you suggest getting off those roads for more success, don't you?
2: I do, yeah, and I, I did plenty of that. I admit in the article that I have blasted plenty of grouse on two tracks, plenty, and I've seen it done plenty. In fact, on an elk hunt a couple of years ago, a couple 16-year-olds almost shot my vehicle as I was coming around a corner, and there was a spluttering spruce grouse on the road. Oh, boy. I don't think anyone's going to stop that, and I think it's going to continue to go on. And not the biggest problem, but it's not something I want to participate in anymore because I think it's way more fun to get out and get a little exercise and actually, uh, you know, get out. So I, don't, I don't need to sit in my car when I'm in the outdoors. I'd rather be outside. So I think there's tons of opportunity for people, even with limited mobility, for all, all sorts of folks. Whether you've got a new hunter or you're taking your grandpa out, we can all take a stroll down a trail along a creek. The many places that rough grouse live that are easy to access, usually around water, open forests. Or drive up to a ridgetop and take a walk on what's usually a flat ridge and look for blue grouse. So it's not like it's super difficult and people need to drive around in their cars and
1: shoot them. But a lot of people do it. So here's another question for you. Are you the hunter that uses a 22 rifle or a shotgun or maybe a pistol to shoot your grouse?
2: I think I included the detail in the article that I've killed grouse with rocks and sticks and a muzzle loader ramrod and pistols and shotguns and high-powered rifles and twenty twos. My preference is a little 20-gauge Mossberg pump shotgun that I have that weighs like six pounds. But really, any shotgun is a great grouse gun. If you have a single-shot 12-gauge, cool, go hunting. If you have a .410, be careful about where you aim, but go hunting. Yeah, pretty, pretty much any shotgun, I think, makes a, provides a fine excuse to take a walk and try to shoot some grouse.
1: Now, here's another question when it comes to grouse hunting, because I've heard it both ways. Grouse is the only bird I don't feel bad about shooting off a tree limb, especially in a thick forest, because I know if they fly, I'm not going to get a shot. But there's others that insist on flushing the grouse and shooting them on the wing, so to speak. Where do you fall in this conversation? Uh, I think I'm a moderate in that discussion. I think it's... uh, (laughs) It's so hard to find moderates in any place anymore.
2: (laughs) I'm trying real hard on everything right now. Uh, So I think that particularly for people who are not great wing shots, people who don't get out a lot, people who have kids with them, people who have a family member with them who's traveling from somewhere and you want to harvest something, you see a grouse on a limb, pluck its head off with your shotgun. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There are purists, and some of them are my friends who will only shoot him on the wing, and I respect that. I don't think my vision's good enough to do that. That's my goal, is to shoot him on the wing. But if a big old blue grouse, after I've been walking for a long time, flies up into a big old old-growth ponderosa pine on top of a mountain, I'm going to try to shoot it out of a tree.
3: I admit it.
1: Let's talk about spruce grouse. I've only shot one of my life, and when I ate it, I felt like Ewell Gibbons in the old Grape Nuts commercial in terms of, I think I'm just eating a pine tree here, or in this case, a spruce tree. It tasted horrible. Why is that?
2: Well, we talked about this here a while back, and uh, you shot that late in the season, I think, on an elk hunt in November. And, you know, it's a different time every year based on the weather. But spruce grouse and blue grouse both go into trees, into conifer trees, and their survival strategy over the winter is to just eat needles. So that's why they both have kind of a little bit darker colored flesh, I think, than a rough grouse. And a rough grouse also goes to the trees, but they go to like deciduous trees like cottonwoods and aspens and they eat those buds. So they don't suffer from the turpentine taste that a late season spruce grouse or blues grouse might, might suffer from. But I've also shot blues in November in actually mid-November before and had them be delicious because it was a low snow year and they hadn't gone to the trees yet. It's only a function of eating conifer needles.
1: Very interesting. And in the article, you had a really interesting factoid about grouse that grouse and mountain goats are actually the only two species that actually move uphill during the winter instead of downhill.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's not an absolute rule, but it's a general rule that biologists share. Yeah, they go uphill. Blues, you know, they nest not just on ridgetops. They nest at multiple elevations. And then in the fall, you'll see this almost migration of blues like ridges that my family would hunt, particularly in the Blue Mountains and in Oregon and Washington in September. There'd be a few blues up there. Then you'd come back in between deer and uh, elk season and all of a sudden the ridge would have, you know, one little finger ridge might have 30 blue grouse on it. Yeah, they they almost do a migration uphill. They're a really cool bird. They're way less dependent on water sources than rough grouse. Ruffs are tied to water until we get fall rains. But blues can subsist from... Well puddles from dew and from moisture from the food that they eat so they're a really tough bird i really respect them they're also big they can be four pounds rough i think can be like pushing two pounds but not quite
1: right well we've got about a minute left and you definitely covered some regions you like to hunt in the article in northwest sports and magazine why don't you run through a couple of those
2: yep first they're everywhere in the pacific northwest that there are trees pretty much any forested ground. And you'll even catch them in some of the open canyon lands where there aren't any conifers around like in Hills Canyon and parts of Southeast Washington, North Central Washington too. But the places that I featured and that I I would recommend would be like Northeast Washington. So Stevens and Ponderay County, that's where I cut my teeth grouse hunting. And then just to the West, Ferry County, which is a huge county full of wildlife, And Amazing hunting and angling opportunities, and only 7,000 people. That's just maybe my favorite place to go. There's also a huge population of snowshoe hares up there, and I like to hunt those alongside grouse. And then my family's ancestral grouse hunting grounds would be the Blue Mountains in Washington, and we have branched out into Oregon. We hunt out of Joseph, Naha, places like that. But then all of the panhandle is great for grouse. But in particular, I think I talked about the same region that I'm recommending going fly fishing in the fall, the Bitterroot Mountains. So if you did take a trip to the St. Joe, or particularly to Kelly Creek in North Fork of the Clearwater, there's nobody there. It's just stinking with grouse at times. So you could definitely do a viable cast and blast. Like I struggle with cast and blast because I think that most blasting requires some real concentration and the casting gets in the way. (laughs) But when you're talking about leisurely fly fishing and grouse hunting... Those are two things that you can do on the same day, even here as the days are getting shorter. And then when does that season end? Well, when the snow flies, it gets a lot harder, and I give up.
1: All right, grouse hunting, folks. It is a thing this October. If you want to find out more about it, pick up the latest copy of Northwest Sportsman Magazine. Check out Jeff Holmes' article on the subject. Get out there and do some grouse hunting. I think you're going to have a great time. Jeff, thanks for sharing this with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio.
2: Yeah, my pleasure, John. Love your show.
3: Located in the northeast corner of Oregon, Wallawa County offers a unique destination rich in natural beauty and outdoors recreation. Enjoy the clear waters of Wallawa Lake. Take a tram to the top of Mount Howard for million dollar views. Hike or ride into the Eagle Cap Wilderness. And fish or raft the Wallawa and Grand Ronde Rivers. It's all waiting for you in beautiful Wallawa County. Plan your visit today at WallawaCountyChamber.com. That's WallawaCountyChamber.com.
1: Next up on Northwestern Outdoors Radio, we've got Congressman Dan Newhouse on the line. He represents the 4th District in Washington, covering much of central Washington. And he has introduced legislation into Congress that would bar the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and National Park Service from reintroducing grizzly bears into North Cascades National Park. Congressman Newhouse, great to have you on the show. It's been quite a while.
4: Well, thank you, John. You know, I listen to you regularly. It's good to be part of your program, and thanks for taking interest in something that's so important.
1: Well, this is a very important issue, and it's not a new issue either. This uh, idea of reintroducing grizzly bears into North Cascades National Park, it's been bouncing around several years now. It started during the Obama administration. U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and National Park Service clearly want to do this. And they've got a couple of options on the table for how they want to do this. Why don't you explain to our listeners exactly what they want to do?
4: Absolutely. Um, And, you know, John, I would say that this has been going on even longer than that. In fact, back in the early 1990s, there was efforts by federal agencies to bring grizzly bears into Washington State. And the state legislature in 1995 actually passed a law to prohibit the introduction of grizzly bears into our state. So this is something that keeps coming up. Most recently, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, as well as the National Park Service, these are the two agencies that are intending to go forward with this. The end of September, they announced their intention to seek public comment on a proposed rule uh, of the Endangered Species Act. To introduce grizzly bears into the north central part of Washington State. Now, the interesting part of that announcement, at the same time, they're asking for comment on the, the proposed rule that's called 10J. They're also asking for comment on the draft environmental impact statement of this proposal. So they're they're really putting this on a fast track, doing two things at once, which typically are separated in order to garner the comments and gather concerns from the people who will be impacted. This is being pushed through as fast as they possibly can. Through the proposed rule, what we see is that they will be airlifting from neighboring states, neighboring regions, grizzly bears, and release them into the ecosystem of the North Cascades in order to populate that area. So, As far as i can tell this train is leaving the station and i'm very glad that you're taking an interest in it to talk about on your show
1: well i know that they're looking at you know long term having a population of some 200 grizzly bears in this region but you and i both know that these grizzly bears they roam they're not going to stay in north cascades national park they're going to be wandering into orchards and we're going to see a lot of conflicts with humans aren't we
4: That is so correct. In fact, grizzly bears, from what I know, have a a range of about 500 miles. And interestingly, if you look really carefully into the history of this, the federal agencies would actually be okay with that. They want to see grizzly bears throughout the state of Washington. So this should be something that not only concerns people in, in Okanagan County or Chelan County, this should be of concern to people throughout the state.
1: Oh, I agree completely. And you need to look no further than Montana to see what can happen. Because grizzly bears are pretty common in Glacier National Park, but they've literally wandered out onto the plains into the nearby community of Shodo. And when I say nearby, I mean 80 miles away. And they're being found in orchards there. There's been pheasant hunters who are trying to scare up pheasants and instead are literally flushing grizzly bears that are attacking them. It's... Not a good situation, and yet the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and National Park Service still seems to be saying, eh, "Not a problem." You
4: know, the North Cascades is literally some of the most rugged territory on the face of the planet Earth. Not too far from where they want to introduce these bears, though, as you alluded to, we have some of the most productive apple orchards in the entire country. And as far as I know, from from what I understand, bears love apples. And we have a lot of them in great supply. And their animals are going to go where the food is. And that happens to be where the people live, too. So that's why you hear so much outrage about this interest by these federal agencies to move these bears into our area. Because we know exactly what's going to happen. They travel, they get hungry. And they're going to go to where the food is. And besides the orchards, John, we also have a lot of livestock producers in this area. So there's just a a number of concerns that I think these federal agencies have got to listen to the people who are going to be most impacted by these decisions.
1: I agree. And, you know, the public comment period is open, and it it remains open until November 13th, but I'll I'll be honest, Congressman, I literally think the results are baked in, as it were. They're getting lots of comments, and as you pointed out in previous emails, most of the comments are not coming from people who are going to be directly impacted by these animals. They're coming from out of state. You know,
4: even in a few cases, from out of country, from Europeans. You know, it's it's really easy to be in favor of moving grizzly bears into an area that seems conducive to them if you live several hundred or even several thousand miles away. I really think these agencies need to put more weight on the, the ideas, the feelings, the concerns, the opinions of the people who are going to be most impacted, those that live directly in the area where these bears are going to be. To me, that's way more important than somebody in California or even somebody in Seattle who won't have any direct contact with these
1: animals i agree completely i really do and and to coin the phrase but wait there's more we also have to address the the issue of predator saturation i attended a, a seminar a few years back and it was actually about wolves but grizzly bears pertain to this as well and there was a 35 year wildlife biologist i think he's from montana or wyoming and he talked about you know having one or even two top tier predators on the landscape isn't an issue. The deer and the elk, they can handle it. But when you introduce a third, then you start having issues. So in Washington State, we have a Fish and Wildlife Commission that is definitely pro-cougar, pro-bear. They literally have canceled the spring bear hunting season. There's huge limitations on hunting cougars. And now you want to introduce grizzly bears into the mix, along with the wolves that we have already. We're already having huge issues with elk herds in the Blue Mountains, where cougars and bears are are really decimating the population there. This isn't going to bode well for the mule deer population of Okanagan County, I don't think, if we introduce grizzly bears onto the landscape that already has cougars and wolves.
4: Yeah, we're going to have all three of the apex predators, the bears, the wolves, and the cougars. You know, it's a huge concern to the livestock industry, absolutely is, or we're already Seeing a lot of pressure from wolves, particularly also cougars on our livestock populations, and not to mention the wildlife impact you're going to see you know there's lots of examples in, in Yellowstone National Park of the impact wolves are having on on the elk population. but when you have all three of these predators together, it won't be a, a good day to be an elk or a deer in north central Washington we'll just to say that.
1: Yes, or a cow or a sheep. You're absolutely no, or right a cow about
4: that. Or a sheep. We've got to start listing and prioritizing the, the ranchers who produce on these lands up north. They have to be listened to. Their concerns are real. They've got experience with predation by wolves and cougars. Uh, we can't ignore their voices because they live this. They're not making these stories up. It's not a theoretical possibility these are real things that are going to happen to our producers and our you know one thing we haven't talked about John you know near orchards near these livestock producers we've also got a lot of communities rural communities where you know kids are waiting for buses uh, there's a, you know people living out in rural areas bears these grizzlies have been known uh, in fact we just saw that recently just north of Cawillo where they will break into uh, enclosures into barns. We saw uh, up north in Canada a couple camping were mauled to death by uh, the attack of a grizzly bear. You know, these are creatures, they, upwards of 800 pounds, the, the large males. They're a force to be reckoned with. They are at the top of the food chain, and we really have to be cognizant of what this decision, if the federal agencies go through with this, what this will mean for the communities that I represent. We've got to put more importance on the lives of people than we do on the lives of grizzly bears. This has just got to be at the top of our uh, consideration.
1: Congressman Newhouse, I agree completely. We are out of time, but folks, I would recommend you follow Congressman Newhouse. He sends out uh, weekly newsletters and emails, and he is all over this issue. So hopefully, your bill will get some traction in Congress, and and maybe even get signed into law. We will see. But in the meantime, thank you for fighting the good fight, and thanks for sharing all of this with us today.
4: Thank you very much, John. Like I said, I appreciate you drawing some attention to this issue. And we did mention the opportunity for public comment. Can we mention that again? Absolutely. So on October 30th at the Okanagan County Fairgrounds between 5.30 and 8.30 p.m., there'll be a public meeting that I would encourage everybody that can to come out and express their feelings about this. I'm going to be there myself, and I look forward to seeing a large group of our community members show up.
1: Well, I hope that there will be, and I hope that they express the same point of view that you have today. Congressman Newhouse, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today on Northwestern Outdoors Radio. Thank you, John. sportsman's warehouse is america's premier outfitter full of the gear you need to succeed this
0: hunting season firearms ammo archery equipment decoys clothing boots and more you'll find it all at sportsman's warehouse better still the knowledgeable staff can help you with tips and in-store seminars all designed to help you bag a trophy or a limit find a location near you or shop
1: online today at sportsmans.com Did you know we actually have a sponsorship opportunity available for this show? You can be a sponsor of Northwestern Outdoors Radio, reaching thousands of listeners every week, tuning in to 69 stations in seven states. Contact me through my website at northwesternoutdoors.com and let's get a conversation started. That's northwesternoutdoors.com.
0: Before we go today, we've got time for one last shot of Northwestern Outdoors Radio with your host, John Cruz.
1: I'm glad you're back because it's time for your Sportsman's Warehouse Trivia Question of the Week. And if you don't have everything you need for the hunting season that's underway, you really need to head down to your local Sportsman's Warehouse store. There's over 130 of them around the U.S., many of them located right here in the greater northwest, so there's bound to be one near you that's going to have the gear you need for success in the field this fall. So head on down to a store near you today or shop online anytime at sportsmans.com. As for your Trivia Question of the Week, it's all about venison and here's your question what is the best cut of meat of these 3 is it the hindquarter is it the backstrap or is it the ribs when it comes to deer when it comes to elk which of these 3 tastes the best again is it the hindquarter Is it the ribs or is it the backstrap? One lucky person who guesses right wins that $25 gift card we give away every week. And remember, we're not doing this contest on Facebook anymore. Too many scammers, I'm afraid, are trying to take advantage of your good nature. So if you want to enter, just shoot me an email at john at northwesternoutdoors.com and give me your answer there. Or go to our website at northwesternoutdoors.com. Go to the contact us page and let me know what is the finest and most desired cut of meat when it comes to an elk or a deer? We'll contact the winner early next week. On that note, it is time to go, but here's hoping if you're a hunter that your season is going well so far, and if you're an angler that is going good too, and if you just love to be outdoors, that you're taking in the fall foliage and all that October has to offer. Until next time, do take care, God bless, and make it a point to spend some time outdoors.